This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car who have some useful tips that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean the interior of your car. You can remove the excess weight from your car to improve its gas mileage, and you can also place a keychain remote right underneath your chin to increase its range. All weird tips, but here's a tip that's not so weird. You can also get a used car from True Car. That's right. True Car is not just for buying a new car with their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory nearly 1 million used cars you'll enjoy real pricing on the actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used and with true car you can see what other people paid so you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy and you'll also be more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a true car certified dealer so when you're ready to buy a new or used car check out true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features are not available in all states Winter was here, but we are just getting started. Our rewatch of Hard Home Season 5, Episode 8 from Game of Thrones. And now, here are the two guys who are ready to come at you, Crow. I am Rob Sestrina here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well. Arms stretched out. Night King pose. What up, Hard Home? Excellent episode of Game of Thrones. Wow. Uh, Really, that final half hour is uh, arguably the best half hour in Game of Thrones history. Wow. I mean, there's a hyperbolic uh, commentary from from yours. Truly. Don't at me. Don't at me. Uh, that's essentially what uh, the Night King is saying in that <laughs> moment. Not, too. The Night King is, I think, is clearly saying at me. Yeah, he's like at me, bro. Do it. Come. Yeah. Make it yeah. happen. So. You know. Uh, I don't know. Is that is that is that uh, uh, such a wild take that this is uh, this is the single best half hour uninterrupted sequence of game of thrones i don't think that you could say hard home is the best episode of game of thrones because there's other stuff that while not bad just isn't quite as exciting as the hard home sequence itself but the whole structure of the heart it it reminds me of like aliens where uh you're invested in so many different characters who who you're getting to meet and you get to like the first big action scene of aliens and like 70 percent of the people that you've met and that you've started to enjoy are just like totally wiped out unceremoniously in such an incredible action sequence that's kind of hard home in a nutshell hard home is like game of thrones is 30 minute distillation of aliens and aliens is one of my favorite movies of all time so i'm inclined to really love this episode Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like there are not many uninterrupted you know half hour sequences that you could even put that in the conversation so i think that's sort of the cheat code on that uh that hot take that hard take um what about the purple wedding purple wedding is very 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 good as well very different very different, very different. I think that this this, um, you know, it's going to be interesting when we get to Battle of the Bastards and we compare the action in Hard Home versus the action of Battle of the Bastards. Once again, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. So uh, some continuity there. But even thinking back to to Blackwater, just some of the things that you see in this episode and the way that the action is rendered is just so lights out. It's just so freaking good. Um, if you're if you're to compare, you know, Game of Thrones sequences like extended sequences 
performances of the show. This has to be in the conversation for one of the best, whether you want to say it's better than the Purple Wedding or the Red Wedding sequence itself. Uh, The Light of the Seven sequence that's coming up at the season six finale. I think that is one of the standout moments of the entire show. Uh, But through this point of the rewatch, maybe it's just a sign that Game of Thrones just keeps building on itself. Uh, When you when you get to this moment in season five and all hell breaks loose and you see the Night King in action for the first time, second time overall, it's just such an electric moment that um, really almost erases everything else that you've gotten to. It's like now you're really reminded of what the true stakes are here in this world of ice and fire, uh, that it doesn't matter what's going on in King's Landing. It doesn't matter who's vying for the throne down there. It really only matters about the king in the north. And I'm not talking about John. I'm talking about the Night King. Uh, so I love it. I just think I think it's so great. And season five continuing to defy expectations for me here on the rewatch. OK, so let's get into everything from this episode. Of course, uh, the whole second half of the episode is going to be everything going on at hard home. But we do have a lot of, you know, big stuff going on here uh especially in the danny storyline where danny and Tyrion lannister uh really talk things through a number of times in this episode they're getting to know each other you know it's a it's a fun meat not so cute uh you know there's some there's some cute moments in here but it's really it's like meat business i guess that's called a business meeting yeah and they're sort of talking things through about why are you here you know what do you have to offer and i guess Tyrion is trying to sell danny on the idea that he should be you know an advisor for her campaign but it's a very soft sell well i think that he is he's being very Tyrion lannister here and he's kind of he is of the mind, at least when we meet him in the beginning of this season of, you know what, just kill me. Let me die. I'm going to drink myself to death. I've got nothing to live for anymore. And then Varys gives him this intriguing idea of, don't you want to at least meet Daenerys Targaryen? Don't you want to see some dragons in person? This is something that could potentially happen for you. Uh, and Tyrion's like, all right, as long as I can drink on the way. Uh, so he's already kind of have a, he has a cavalier attitude about his life. He doesn't want to die in a horrible way, which is why I think he's very much fighting for his life when he meets the stone men and when he meets Mr. Echo, he doesn't want to be dismembered. Uh, he does not want to share Theon Greyjoy's fate. Um, but he, you know, I think that he has a little bit of a carefree attitude about himself where he himself feels like he's kind of playing, uh, with, uh, with house money, uh, where he's, you know, he's here, he wants to, uh, you know, he wants to interview Daenerys just as much as he expects he's being interviewed. Like uh, Al on fear the walking dead, much like Al on fear the walking dead, uh, so which I'm is collecting- definitely, your story definitely something that nobody was thinking <laughs> it's an unlikely appearance of an owl from fear of the walking dead reference here in winter was here in this uh, in the year 2018 october 2018 <laughs> while owl on fear of the walking dead is still a thing a year from now i would not bank on it <laughs> so Tyrion, he has heard about this baby that was born in a storm and she had uh, no land and no money and no army. And, uh, you know, here she is. And now she has all three. And Danny's asking Tyrion, well, why should I bother with you? What's so great about you? Yeah, well, he's talking about how, uh, you know, 
the Targaryens could be could be intense. You know, why? Why should I feel like you are going to be the, the right person here? Why? You know, we've just met. Why should I feel like you deserve my service? And Tyrion kind of lists out his own resume a little bit of talking about like, I'm the greatest Lannister killer that's ever been born. Why do you deserve me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, she is an enemy of the Lannisters. Hey, look, if you hate Lannisters, well, I'm your person. But I'm your guy. Tyrion tries to uh, rebut Danny's uh, claim that, look, I have an army. I have dragons. What do I need you for? And Tyrion tells her that, look, killing and politics is not the one and the same. Right. Uh, you know, there's certainly been a lot of great kings and queens who have murdered ruthlessly and have been effective in that way, but have often uh, lost their lives and their rule pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, so that's why he wants to a see if she's got the stuff and b why he believes that he has the stuff to guide her in the right direction, why he has the experience. He served his hand to the king. He did a very good job. And she's like, okay, well, you know, talking about it is one thing. Let's put the, let's put the job into practice. Here's Jorah Mormont. Here's this lovesick fool who, uh, who betrayed me deeply. I'm not a big fan of his. I said I would kill him if I ever saw him again here in Marine. What do I do? Mm-hmm. So Tyrion, he's put to the test right away. Yeah, he's like, uh, hmm, let me think about it. Well, uh, you know, he definitely loves you. But he's a man. He did betray you. Hmm. And did he have an opportunity to confess his betrayal? She's like, yeah. Big no, time. Yeah, definitely, definitely did. 100% like, a million hmm. opportunities. We talked privately several times. So it was an unpleasant truth, but he didn't trust that you would be smart enough to forgive him. So, and Danny's like, well, should I kill him? Like, no, I don't, don't kill him. But no, he can't be here. And you expect Jordan to be like, come on. Well, this is like this is Tyrion. I saved you. Yeah, but you brought me into the into old Valyria and almost got me grayscale. I'm lucky I didn't get a cootie spot. Uh, you know, this is this is Tyrion's way of being kind toward Jorah. He's actually saved Jorah's life already at this point, where uh, where Mister Echo and the the slavers are going to kill Jorah, and then Tyrion speaks up for him. He's like, "No, don't kill him." So I think like some measure of mutual respect has emerged between these two guys. But they're now at the point. This is where this was the destination that they were both trying to reach. Tyrion wanted to see Danny anyway. Jorah took him to see Danny. Jorah thought that he was going to buy back his place in Danny's cabinet by selling her essentially Tyrion Lannister um, and that's just not going to be how this works if Tyrion is going to walk out of this with his head intact he has to give Daenerys the best advice he possibly can while also the side benefit of that being some measure of mercy towards Lord Mormont in the fact that he is not going to get killed he should be lucky that he is walking out with his head intact uh, so I think in its own way much as the arrow was a mercy to Mance Raider, I think that the, the, the move to once again exile Jorah while a bit repetitive, is uh, is a mercy for that man as well. All right, so they take Jorah away. Uh, let's go to the Black Cells and check out what's going on with Septa, Unella, and Cersei. Yeah, it's a quick scene. There's going to be a little bit more later on. I think we could yara yara this. Uh, Septa Unella sucks. Cersei is not a fan. Uh, Cersei is like getting smacked by a spoon and getting water held out on her. Uh, she's only allowed to drink if she Confess. confesses. She's not going to confess, confess, confess. Uh, yeah. And she once again reiterates, I told you I meant it. My face is going to be the last thing you see before you smack. 
mm-hmm. hit in the face. Uh, but of course, we know that Cersei will get the last laugh on Septa Unella eventually. Josh, what was Septa Unella doing before the High Sparrow uh, really came into his own? Probably torturing other people. Uh, probably uh, just like doing a lot of like religious torturing. Or she maybe was like, I don't know, just hanging out in the cell waiting for her big moment. Okay. All right, let's go over to Bravos and uh, check in with what Aria is working on. And we've got a little bit of, is this the game of faces? It's a little bit of the game of faces, and it seems like Arya is doing a much better job as she is talking about her new persona as Alana, the <laughs> oysters, clams, and cockles girl. Yeah. And uh, she is going to go and, you know, try on this identity. And we're going to see that uh, Jack and Hagar is going to uh, task her with a new assignment. Right. Uh, Ditch Moonsinger Lane, or I guess it's actually Ragman Lane. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a lie. You are no longer going to be turning left onto Ragman Lane. You're going to Ragman Harbor. Yeah. Yes. And you need to go and uh, work with uh, your oysters, clams, and cockles and (laughs) sell them to a uh, skinny man, slender man. The thin man. The slender man is an entirely different thing and would be very terrifying (laughs) in the world of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that'd be horrible. Okay, uh, but yeah, so Arya is like going to be sent to this thin man who does this this like work with these like ship captains. Uh, he's a gambler. He wages that a, a sailor ship is going to make it to its destination, and the captain only wins if he loses his life. Seems like a terrible bet. I don't understand well, why anyone would really get in on it. Yeah, well, it seems like a terrible bet, and. I think the punchline is that, you know, uh, you know, he bets that you won't get back or that he 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 bets that you will get back. And then when you die and you lose, but then he doesn't pay your family. I think that that, that's sort of the scam here. Right. That's a good scam. It's very I don't know. It feels very like Jabba Han Solo. Right. Like the the whole idea of like, uh, you know, just like betting big on one guy. And then, you know, if you owe me and the longer you're away, the more you owe me. These guys are lucky that they're not being uh, frozen in carbonite. Mm-hmm. Um, also, very impressive that Arya is able to just like shuck an oyster so fast. Uh, I feel like that is indicative of some time that must have elapsed while Arya has been posing as Lana, uh, because to to learn the art of just popping an oyster like that, that's got to take at least months to really master. Yeah, and. I don't know if we explored this in the real time. I don't know where Arya gets the oysters. Does Jack and Hagar have a seafood guy that they have a connection? Seems like that, you know, how does she just, you know, automatically start up this seafood business? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they really just uh, kind of uh, they I think they get, they did us the mercy of not going into the deep dive details about how that all came together. <laughs> I can live without the the Game of Thrones spinoff about Arya Stark becoming Alana, the Oysters, Clams and Cockles girl. I'm a details guy, though. I like to know. I know you are. I know you I like are. You're really getting the weeds on this stuff. <laughs> you like it, the, you, the seaweed. <laughs> But. You're a fan of the Jojen weeds. <laughs> right. Now, what I don't understand is, okay, so we, we've sort of explored like what this guy's scam is. And it's like, okay, uh, Josh Wiggler is like, well, I'm going on a, a trip to Fiji. It could be dangerous. Uh, you know, I bet that I won't get back. Okay. And he's like, well, I, I bet that you will. And then, okay. But what? then this guy is like, well, it's my 18th trip. Like I'm, I'm betting that I won't get back this time. 
And he's like, no deal. That's it. Get out of here. Adam, <laughs> why? If it's a scam, why doesn't he take this guy's money? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The thin man is, uh, is a, a strange, a strange bird. Good thing we're not going to have to deal with him for very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that uh, Arya is tasked with uh, keep your eye on this guy. Keep your eye on this guy. Yeah, uh, that seems to be a decent plan as long as nobody from her past shows up mm-hmm. and becomes a distraction. Yeah coming down the line because we know that this guy likes his oysters he likes them with vinegar is that a thing by the way yeah absolutely uh, it's, like, it's, it's like a, a, a mignonette I, i'm not it's, an oyster guy josh i'm not a huge oyster guy myself uh i i have dabbled in oysters i can enjoy the occasional oyster i don't really seek them out uh very actively but if uh if an oyster comes my way I'm not going to be furious about it. And I've encountered many an oyster in my time. Mm-hmm. You have, a, you know, you can have a little cocktail sauce with that. That could be really good. You could have the classic uh, mignonette sauce, a little bit of a little bit of horseradish in there, perhaps. So that's really in the cocktail sauce. The mignonette is really it's like shallots, chopped shallots, a little bit of like the, the vinegar that gives it kind of like the, the pickling taste. Mm-hmm. Um, it can it can be good stuff as long as the quality of the oysters are good. That's really the deal. You're breaker. sounding kind of like an oyster guy. I mean, I'm just trying to to give you a little bit of insight into what the oysters are like. I'm not a big fan of like the briny oyster uh, that really tastes like the ocean. And pretty much any oyster is going to at least taste a little bit like the ocean. So it's just not going to be my default thing. But I'll eat it. I'll eat just about anything at this point. <laughs> okay. you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a glutton. It's one of my sins. Well, Aria is going to be given uh, a little bit of the poison for uh, Mr. Thin Man. This is going to be uh, some spiked vinegar that she's going to be serving up. Yeah. And uh, then she walks away and the waif says, like, uh, I don't think she's ready for this. I don't think she's ready nah. for this jelly. Yeah. And somebody's really jelly, it would seem. Yeah. And Jack is like, eh, eh, well, if she dies, she dies. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he really believes that. He seems to be a big Arya fan. Yeah, so he, he's just uh, like, telling the waif what she wants to hear. Yeah, I think so. It's all the same to the many faced god. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Well, maybe he does believe that, where it's like, if that's what her fate is, then that's what her fate is. Okay. So we then go to see Cersei again. And now she's getting a visit from Kyburn. Yes. Yeah, so this is like the bigger Cersei scene of the episode where Kyburn shows up and Cersei's like, so tell me what's going on. How bad is it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's very bad. <laughs> the situation, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, you know, every single update that Kyburn has for Cersei is in the, in the red. This is, this is bad. The High Sparrow is presenting a substantial case. Uh, the charges are fornication, treason, incest, even the murder of King Robert. Uh, it's the belief is is often the death of reason. So even if you are saying that these are lies, the fact that people believe them uh, will will overrule the fact that uh, you've got uh, a case in your corner. No one's going to care about that. By the way, none of them are lies. They're all true. <laughs> so Very true. Cersei, you know, Cersei can insist on, you know, all of them are lies. None of this is true. Uh, but she's she's definitely she's definitely in big trouble here. In very big trouble here. How has Kyburn become Cersei's legal counsel? There's not somebody that's more qualified. I mean, I feel like that uh, this does not seem like it's in his wheelhouse. Because she's got no one else. There's nobody else. There's no Lannister lawyer. 
I got anybody no on retainer to go. Yeah, she doesn't have anybody. Everybody hates the Lannisters at this point. Certainly everybody hates Cersei. She made her big move. The High Sparrow was kind of her guy. The High Sparrow is no longer her guy. Kyburn is really her only guy. We even get, you know, as as the the story develops here as Kyburn and Cersei are talking, uh, there's no word from Jamie. Jamie's mm-hmm. off in Dorne, so there's nobody to talk to there. Uh, Grandmaster Pycelle, who has been a big Lannister guy for a long time, and this is this is something that I didn't really remember, but it, it, it's one of the benefits of the rewatch. Not that it matters much in the grand scheme of things, but I think we've appreciated the Grandmaster Pycelle sub story that has been running throughout the show. That slowly and slowly and slowly, Cersei has just been dissing this guy and really just you know subtly jabbing at him and knocking him down, and finally made. Mr. Pycelle is like, I'm calling Uncle Kevin and he's going to be the guy and I'm not going to come and speak to Cersei. I've got no interest in that. So she's already pushed away this guy who's been in her corner for a very long time. Uncle Kevin, not interested, doesn't want to see Cersei at all, not on her terms anyway. And we also hear that uh, that poor little Tommen is doing poorly. He's not not having a good time. So everybody's doing poorly. Everybody's having a horrible time. The only way out is to confess, and Cersei's just refusing to do Did that. Did anybody bring him oysters? Maybe he might like that. Maybe he is an oyster guy. <laughs> yeah, he could be an oyster guy. <laughs> I feel like I could see that. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Septa Inella comes in. It's like, all right, party's over. Yeah, party's over. Yeah. And Cersei's like, it wasn't much of a party. Yeah. It was bad. Kybert's like, eh, uh, but, you know, just confess. Just confess. Yeah. That's it. But he does leave her with like one silver lining where he says the work continues. And the implication there is Sir Robert Strong is uh, still in development. Not that that's really going to bear fruit for her in her way out the door here. Uh, So I don't know why he's maybe he's just like kind of showing off. He's like he will be there to like (laughs) carry her back into uh, the Red Keep. Yeah. And, you know, he's an enforcer later on. You know, he gets his gold R on, but that's really about it. Uh, but, uh, he's, maybe he's just like looking for an attaboy, mm-hmm. you know, nobody has been around to like tell Kyburn you're doing a great job. It's so like, he just well, wants to hear from news, Cersei. I guess. Yeah. Good job, man. That's great. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to Winterfell and we see a scene with, uh, Sansa and Theon and Theon or Reek, uh, comes in to see Sansa and she's like, why, why'd you wrap me out? Reek. <laughs> He's like, Theon. because I'm Reek, because I'm Reek and all of this stuff is horrible and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Help. Yeah. She's like, no, you're a terrible person. I'm glad that you've been turned into Reek because you <laughs> killed my brothers. Yeah. I like this. It's, it's like, you know what? I'm happy. Everything that bad that happened to you. <laughs> I, I wish I would have done it. Yeah, I would have been very happy to have done all of the things, which is a very dark look for uh, for for Sansa Stark. I don't know if this is just anger or if this is real, uh, but the things that happened to uh, Theon, I can't imagine that she would have actually wanted to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then uh, Reek slash Theon, he does crack a little bit and then reveals that the boys that he killed uh, were not actually uh, Bran and Rickon. Yeah, they were just these, you know, little farm kids who I killed and I burned them so badly so nobody would know that they're Bran and Rickon. And then he like freaks out and he leaves. And Sansa seems to be very excited about the fact that Bran and Rickon are uh, are still alive. No love lost for the farm boys. Mm-hmm. You know, two kids did die here. Let's not be callous. Right. But Sansa's like, well, at least they weren't my brothers. So, yeah, I guess. Happy. It's a bittersweet, bittersweet for Sansa. Bittersweet, bittersweet. Okay. Um, and Theon still is like, uh, don't call me Theon. I'm Reek. Yeah. I'm Reek. Ah. Okay. Ah. All right. 
So we see Roos Bolton in the war room and he is planning what they're going to do that Stannis' men are coming. And he says, look, here's what we do. We just hide out here. Their horses can't jump over the walls. We have six months of food. It's winter. Their men are going to mutiny. This is a great plan. Right. And Ramsey's like, you know, I'm really good at being a terrible person. Mm -hmm. I'm a master of stealth. Uh, you could I could just activate Bolton stealth mode and bring 20 people into Stannis's camp and we can we can call this now, uh, which is obviously foreshadowing the, the first wave of the battle between Stannis and Ramsey, which is a is a, it's a short war between these two. But Ramsey is really going to be dunking on Stannis Baratheon at every turn. Yeah, because Roos Bolton doesn't want to send an army in the snow to go fight Stannis. But uh, Ramsey says he can do it with 20 men. Roos Bolton's like, OK, fine. Fine. If it'll get you out of my hair for, you know, a week, fine. Go do whatever yeah. you have to do. We don't need an army. We have a Hulk. Yes. Actually, the uh, Jon Snow has a Hulk now. Mm-hmm. More on that to come. Yes. All right. Back in Marine, Danny and Tyrion are still talking through about what they're going to be doing and how much they have in common. And they end up turning the conversation back to their horrible fathers. This is a great scene. I mean, the first scene between Danny and Tyrion is also excellent. And I, I, you know, in last week's episode and then the first one in in this episode. But this is really the great Danny and Tyrion scene so far of the series. And it was just I remember being so excited watching it the first time through being like, I've never seen these two characters interact before. This is awesome. We've wanted this for so long. And it was just like a really great preview of the potential of this show and, and, and where things could be going as we were starting to move towards the end zone here um but to hear sort of the the symmetry in their stories of their horrible fathers uh and you know Tyrion's like my brother is the only other person in the world i trust other than Varys, and she's like oh you mean the brother who killed my dad he's like yeah it's awkward but you know just the way like the interconnectedness between these two stories i think is is really really excellent and the performances here from dinklage and clark are just on par yeah and they do you know verbally spar uh back and forth not necessarily that they're fighting but they go back Back and forth and it's very fun to uh, watch the interaction between the two of them and so uh they're talking about you know what would your father do what would your father do and they're talking about how uh Tyrion ultimately says that uh you know look we're two terrible children of two terrible fathers and danny is like wait why am i terrible yeah he's like i've heard some stuff mm-hmm. but maybe you're the right kind of terrible yeah you're like good bad good like bad venom. yeah hmm and so Danny doesn't know if she wants to be good, bad. Yeah, uh, she's feeling a little bit regretful about uh, opening the fighting pits again. Um, Tyrion's like, no, that was great. That was a good move. You know, people wanted that. So that was good. That was smart. That was wise. And you marrying somebody you don't like. That's also good. Uh, that's for the greater good. That's great. That's impressive. Uh, that's already, you know, two points in your favor. I'm feeling good about. Mm-hmm. So. Tyrion uh, would like to stay and help Daenerys uh, with her cause. And, and, and Daenerys is willing to bring Tyrion on board. Yes, uh, she seems to be open to it. She says, all right, I'm not going to kill you. You're my guy now. You're my advisor. You're going to advise me, but you have to stop drinking so much. And he does, he's like, all right, I quit. <laughs> yeah. And he, Tyrion asked Daenerys about, you know, his, what, what will you have me do? And she says, I need, I need to help me get what I want. And 
she implying the Iron Throne and Tyrion's like, ah, pick something else. Yes. Yeah. And I again, like, I think that Tyrion is potentially even giving voice to, to where the story may be heading with Daenerys, that the Iron Throne is the thing that she covets, the thing that she thinks that she wants, the thing that she thinks that she is destined for, when in actuality, maybe that's not it. Maybe she's destined for something bigger. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's destined for something a little bit more important. Um, but she does give a convincing sales pitch here when, you know, Tyrion talks about, let's be generous and assume that you're going to be able to convert the commoners over to your side. Uh, you had the support of commoners here in Slaver's Bay. You were ruling without the rich. Uh, that did not, that's starting to not go so well. Over in Westeros, you need people who back you. There's not a lot of people who are going to back you. Maybe that the Tyrells will. That's not impossible, but it's not enough. And Danny's like, I don't need their help. I'm their spokes on a wheel. I'm mm-hmm. going to break the wheel. I'm, I'm going to change the whole thing. And it's impressive rhetoric, but without a real action plan, you know, what is it really? Yeah. Although in fairness here to uh, Danny, when Tyrion is saying, oh, well, you know, maybe you should pick something else. If I'm Danny, I'm like, well, then what are you here? What, what are we talking about then? If we're not talking about getting to the Iron Throne, what do I need your help with? Right, Ruling Marine? Right. Because nobody wants me to do that. <laughs> yeah, Tyrion be like, no, I advise you to leave Marine. It's gotten boring here. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know exactly what Tyrion is uh, is thinking about here. But, you know, I think I think part of it, too, probably is it's, you know, devil's advocate stuff where it's like he's trying to get her to think about the reality of the situation. So she starts thinking about it in a wiser, more pragmatic way. Yeah, he's testing uh, maybe. Her. Yeah, you know, she could still take over Westeros. She just has to do it the right way. And Tyrion thinks maybe he has more of an idea of what the right way would be. Yeah. And so ultimately, uh, you know, they're talking about the uh, great houses. And Danny says that, you know, it's all just spokes on a wheel. The, this one's on top and that one's on top. And on and on, it spins, crushing the people on the ground. And Tyrion says, OK, I get it. You want to stop the wheel. But you're not the first person to ever think about that. And Danny says, I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Josh, what does breaking the wheel look like? I think that means completely reshaping the image of Westeros, where it's not, you know, it's not stopping the wheel. It's breaking the wheel where uh, the the northerners are are completely loyal to, to Danny. There's no more, you know, kingdoms. It's all one place. But I mean, frankly, we don't know yet. We just haven't seen enough of what Danny's idea for ruling Westeros is, that is. right now. The she- wheel? I don't think so necessarily. Uh, you know, maybe she means like wiping out any of like those power structures, though, that like Starks are no better than anybody else. Uh, Tyrells are no better than anybody else, uh, that the class system is destroyed. Uh, I think that could be something that she is eyeing. Mm, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if she really has a plan for that. Yeah, well, we'll see uh, as we get to season seven, you know, when we reapproach some of that stuff. I don't know either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll figure we'll it out. Figure it out. Hopefully somebody will. All right. Uh, Jorah is going back to the uh, slave master. He wants back in. Yeah. Put me in. Go. <laughs> He just wants to fight again. He wants to he wants to fight for Danny again. Yeah. I mean that this guy cannot take a hint. No, he is really insisting uh, that he he gets to be part of Danny's coalition. Uh, So he's like, maybe if I fight again, she'll be into it. This time 
I'll show her. Yeah. Uh, buddy, buddy, get a hint. Come on. <laughs> so we go back to Septa and Ella and Cersei and Septa and Ella. She's got her ladle, her ladle with water, like, uh, confess, confess. I'll give you some of this water. And then she's uh, not responding to any of Cersei's offers. No, uh, really not. Like Cersei's really trying to be like, oh, please, I'm going to get out of here. I could make you really wealthy. Septuanella, just not hearing it. Not here for it at all. Nope. <laughs> and then she pours the water on the floor. And Cersei's trying to drink some of that dirty floor water, yeah. which I guess you got to do if that's the only water, which is a, t- a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, Cersei kind of got herself into this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, does she get the water and then gets to confess? Because can she do like a, you know, chunk from the Goonies style confession? <laughs> confess to like uh, like a bunch of different stuff. Oh, my God. The, tr- the Cersei shuffle. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and then this one time, my brother that I uh, yeah. pinched, uh, I, I pinched him so hard that the yeah. that the red viper thought that I was going to seriously hurt him, and then uh, the worst thing, <laughs> the worst thing I ever done was, yeah. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Can I just have some yeah. more water. I'll be able yeah. to get it all out. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, Cer- Cersei in a, a Hawaiian t-shirt is a hilarious idea. All right. So uh, we're going to see Sam they and Gilly. Rocky Road. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sam and Gilly, and they're kind of just doing the post-mortem Basically on uh, Rocky Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Gilly, they're like, hey, how, that, how was that? That was great. That was good. How's your face? It's okay. Who's mm-hmm. here? Ollie's here. Ollie right. is here. Let's and do an obligatory Ollie check-in. You know, I wonder, I feel like I might have been too hard on Ollie the first time. I don't, I don't find him as irritating on the rewatch. What do you attribute that to? I think I just sort of like uh, see his side of things a little bit more where I think that I was maybe the first time through. Jon Snow is the best. Who are you? Where do you get off questioning the wisdom of the Lord Commander? Right. And, you know, I can say that, you know, Jon Snow made some mistakes in terms of his messaging. Yes, I think that's the the thing. I think we'll even be able to pick uh, pick some of that apart in this uh, <laughs> in the final half of the episode, where Jon Snow says some curious things. Um, but I I agree. I think that it's it's less about what Jon Snow wants. I think what Jon Snow wants is very noble and is correct. Uh, I think that the way that he has been phrasing that stuff has left a lot to be desired to the point where Ollie, who should be a really easy sell, somebody who is like the biggest Jon Snow fan in the world, is going to just a couple of episodes from now plunge a dagger into Jon Snow's chest feels like that was uh, a heart and mind you could have converted <laughs> yeah and Ali is asking Sam but, but why why are we doing this again well why yeah. is Jon Snow gonna like they, they they killed my my family and Sam's like not all wildlings and Ollie's like, look, the big redheaded dude killed the, the raid that killed my, my parents. Mm-hmm. And Sam's like, oh, Ollie. It's like, th- there's no rebuttal to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you've moved yourself into a place where there's just no refuting that fact. Yeah. And Sam is trying to say, well, there's the army of the dead. They're going to they're going to come. And uh, Ollie's just fixated on the, the wildlings. He's like, well, what if they cut our throats while we're sleeping? Yeah. Well, he's just not. uh 
he's just he's not buying into the whole uh, army of the dead thing. I don't think anybody really is. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. much easier to, you know, see the threat that's, you know, at your door. Yes. Especially correct. when they killed your parents. Yes, indeed. Yeah. OK. Uh, at the end of this conversation, though. Uh, Ollie is like looking confused and Sam says, uh, don't worry, Ollie. Uh, I've been worrying about John for years. He always comes back. He always comes back. Yeah. Uh, obviously Even if a you little, kill him, Ollie, just remember yeah, that he'll come back. He'll hang you. He'll yeah. hang you within, you know, 48 hours of being dead. He'll be back. Just he'll remember be that before you try to kill him, he always comes back. Don't yeah. say I didn't nice. warn you. You know, I think that when I when I think back on my feelings on season five, I think that I was mostly annoyed by the way in which the Game of Thrones creators tried to leave us with zero hope for Jon Snow's return. When there's moments like this, he always comes back. There's just so many reasons to believe that Jon wasn't going to stay dead. And just the caginess of Benioff and Weiss about the whole matter that was really the thing that infuriated me the most. Granted, there's some storylines this season that are just a little subpar, but I think a lot of the the feelings of ire I have had towards season five are more on the meta factor, and I think that they're mitigated in binge mode. I think when you're watching the show just all the way through, a lot of that stuff feels lessened for me. That The way that the showrunners handled all of this after the show was... Yeah, what? it was not great. It was not great. I think it's just like the, the way in which they, they left us without uh, any kind of like real wink and nod when it was just so obvious. Uh, I, I felt like that was, that was an, annoying, an annoying bit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Hard Home, and that's where we will spend uh, the rest of the episode. Uh, and we spend a good, you know, 35 minutes uh, here uh, in Hard Home. It's great. I'm glad. It's awesome. Uh, it's it's just such a it's such a great sequence. The whole thing just kind of feels like its own mini movie. Uh, you know, it's almost like it's its own like half hour episode of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a little bit of a new trend for the for the drama these days. The 30 minute drama episode. I'm I'm really feeling that vibe. And I think when you think about Hard Home, you mostly think about the stuff that we're getting into here. OK, so Josh, can you just set up what is Hard Home? So Hard Home is uh, it's basically a, a stronghold of the wildlings north of the wall. It's a it's a fishing village uh, and all of the wildlings have or many of them, at least like the surviving wildlings. So many of them from different clans. That's why we're seeing all these different clan leaders. They've gathered here just as things have been getting so, so terrible, uh, you know, in the in the wake of Stannis coming and destroying Mance Raider's army. Uh, these are the people who were able to escape that. And they're all just like hold up here waiting to figure out well what do we do now we're without Mance Raider we're without a real clear direction um, and this is why John has come to these people to be like hey come with us you're you're safe below the wall you're certainly safer there than you are up here okay so we uh, see John and Tormund get greeted by the Lord of Bones Lord of Bones <sighs> is back Lord of Bones is back for five seconds <laughs> I was so excited to see him though I know I love the Lord of Bones yeah, Lord of Bones Bones. No, good old Bones, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He just gets like his his shit wrecked in like the first five <laughs> minutes of, <laughs> of the Hard Home I mean, sequence. He, I think it's really like uh, diminishes the legacy of Lord of Bones. He's really hundred percent, just hundred percent, completely smacked around by Tormund Giants Bane. It's sort of like you know, uh, what is this guy doing with like a, a skeleton on his face? 
Yeah, I mean, Tormund Giantsbane is a is a badass for sure. But mm-hmm. we were led to believe that so was Rattleshirt, and he just gets like very yeah. seriously I, sucker I mean, punched. And perhaps like if Lord of Bones, you know, could see and didn't have like a skeleton over his face, uh, maybe he might be a more formidable opponent. Well, if he had like modified the skull helmet, maybe I think like he needed it to be like more of like a like a gridiron look, I think would have uh, yeah. would have been helpful. He's intimidating, but it seems like that, you know, in, in actual practice that maybe, you know, just wearing a skull over your face is, uh, you know, not the best move. It's like form over function. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he's like, uh, who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? Why are you with this guy? And they're trying to tell the Lord of Bones, no, we're allies now. Yeah. Uh, so strike one for Jon Snow, I think. We're allies. Like speaking for Tormund here, like just like stepping in and thinking that he is already able to just like speak effectively to the to the culture of the wildlings here. Tormund like kind of gives Jon a look being like, dude, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't don't say that. Let me deal with this. And obviously it goes over very poorly with the Lord of Bones, who just like immediately starts ripping into Tormund before Tormund is forced to to rip into the Lord of Bones. Mm-hmm. Right. And the Lord of Bones is uh, making some homophobic comments to Jon Snow and Tormund, which, you know, hey, not cool, Lord of Bones. Tormund's got no time for it. He's not here for that. He doesn't like the insult. Uh, he he stands up for Jon Snow. He stands up for himself, and he just destroys. He decimates yeah. the Lord of Bones no. very swiftly. This was a completely disastrous appearance for the Lord of Bones. Just completely tarnished his legacy. No, it's very bad. Should it's have stayed very bad in season three. That would have been a much better deal for him for sure. <laughs> Lord of He'd Bones. still be alive. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, John is going to, you know, get everybody together. He's going to make his pitch to the wildlings. Yes, and this is, you know, one of the areas in which he could really use some work. I mean, he's he's being honest. He's like, we're not friends. We've never been friends. We're probably not going to become friends today. This is about surviving. This is about putting my wall between you and what's out there. Uh, and Carsey, the wildling, she's like, you built that wall to keep us out. And the then Laboda. Uh, says when do you guys since when do you guys give a crap about if we live or die mm-hmm. john says in normal times we don't these are not normal times yeah and uh these uh two people that you mentioned uh laboda the fen and then carsey the wildling uh they get like a a, a nice uh you know uh, meaty roles in this episode i think that's a big reason why i love this episode so much is you know certainly um people have to die in this sequence in order for it to be really, Mm. really effective. Um, But there's characters here who have more important stuff to do moving forward. You can't really lose Jon Snow at hard home. Uh, You can't lose Tormund here. Uh, Dolores Ed is going to be the guy who's going to be taking on the Night's Watch since we've already killed so many of the Night's Watch characters. You need to keep him alive so that there's somebody recognizable. So what's the move? And I think that the move here is, A, you kill somebody recognizable instantly in The Lord of Bones, even if he's not a main character just the way in which he is killed so swiftly I think starts to unsettle you that things could go very differently and very very badly uh, for many of the people here um, but also 
it's like it's like boosting up the red shirts. It's like turning the it's like faking you into thinking that these red shirts are gold shirts. That you know, <laughs> Carsey is somebody who potentially is going to be like a main character. Like it seems like she's got some good chemistry with Jon Snow. Seems like she certainly has history with Tormund Giants Bane. Um Laboda is like being set up as like somebody who could be a counter argument to the Thens as we had seen them before, somebody who's a little bit more um a little bit more manageable, even if he's you know taking a hard line against Jon Snow. Of course. One one just by size alone is somebody who you're gonna who you're really gonna feel for right away. Somebody who's gonna have a lot of great impact. So you're kind of tricked into thinking that these are new characters on the show as we're incorporating the wildlings more into the Game of Thrones story. These are people that we're gonna want to watch moving forward. Even Carsey kind of represents this character named Val uh, from from uh, from the books that never made it onto the show. This woman in the wildling culture that John has a really close relationship with. So there's just a lot of ways that the that the story is setting up this subversion of what they're going to do by killing them off in really horrible ways and very suddenly in a manner in which you are not expecting even though you just met these people that you already feel you know you feel something when you lose these people Uh, i think that's a really effective job both in the writing um the direction of the episode the acting of the episode it just makes you feel very invested in the fight at hard home yeah and john is trying to talk to them about the white walkers are coming and but we have this dragon glass we can we can fight them we need you guys to you know be enrolled in uh, this battle against them and the, nobody's really super interested in uh what he's trying to say uh john is uh, going to name drop mance raider yeah and he's like i knew mance raider he would have wanted you guys here and then uh everyone's like so where's mance and John's like, hmm, hadn't thought that through. Yeah. So he says, Mance Raider died. Ooh, and, and they're like, okay. And John has like an opportunity here to like explain what happened to Mance Raider with some like detail mm-hmm. and some context. And instead, he chooses to say, I put an arrow through his heart. He's like, what? Yeah, whoa, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yeah, no, not big fans of that. Understandably. Okay. Very much so. Josh. Very understandable. Then Tormund comes in and he smooths things over. Did, did Tormund and Jon Snow work that bit out? Where, okay. Jon's like, okay, well, I'll say that I put an arrow through his heart and then you I should say, so. and then you come in and you then you like uh, make me look good. Like I'm like a badass. Tormund's like, that's a great idea. Good cop, bad cop. Yes. I love it. Yeah, I love the good cop, bad cop routine. Because if they didn't, uh, <laughs> then it's a bad job on Jon Snow. That being said, I think it is very consistent with Jon Snow's character, at least as Game of Thrones has presented him. Uh, we we have the, the 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 benefit here of knowing how Jon Snow is going to react at the at the dragon pit in King's Landing at the end of season seven mm. when they're all making the appeal of like, hey, we all got to fight together. Like the second version of this exact scene. Uh, and it's just it's it's gonna go poorly there as well because Jon Snow just cannot tell a lie or at least can't even give context I like can't he can't lie you know like you could at least be a little more honest uh you know a little less like you know honesty can still exist with context you don't just have to skip right to the the very literal definition of how this man died explain what happened well they were going to set him on fire, and I didn't want that to happen. I respected Mance Raider, and that's a bad way to die, so I euthanized him. Because easy when he infiltrated the wildlings, like, he did lie. <laughs> like, he can do it. 
Yeah. He yeah. can spin. Yeah. Maybe that, that just like it tired him out so much. And like, he's just, he's against doing it. Maybe he'll never he do it again. To be like, okay, this is your mission. You need to sort of like paint these facts in a different way. Yeah. So uh, not great. Not great. But Tormund ends up saying like, no, it was a mercy. He did a whole uh, good thing. And you know, you guys, I, I like this guy. Um, yeah. And so uh, the uh, woman, Carsey, she says, look, uh, I lost a bunch of members of my family fighting against the crows. And John says, uh, look, don't forget you're dead. Uh, I won't forget mine, but we got to work together. Got to team up. Yes. And so uh, they sell some people on this. Some people are OK. Like Carsey's into it. Uh, we see we see that one one. He's good. He's happy that he he's all about torment. That's really the thing is that both Carsey and uh, and one one uh, another wildling as well. They're kind of like if torment thinks this is the way we trust torment. Uh, the thin Laboda mm-hmm. is not into it. Yeah. He's not feeling it. Yes. Uh, he says that. No, this is a trick. They're going to slit your throats once they get you on the boat. Correct. Uh, yeah, just really refusing to to consider his true self-interest, not doing the research, not stopping to think about the process here, just very blindly buying in on what the typical wildling philosophy here is, is it's us versus them. And there's no way, no way whatsoever that we can set aside some of our differences to save our skins in the immediate moment. Uh, it's a very bad look for, for mm-hmm. this line of thinking, I think. And then John doesn't really even rebut that. He's like, that doesn't even make any sense. Why would we come all the way to do that? Yeah, yeah. You're just like, oh, uh, it's a it's a limited amount of people that are willing to come along for the ride. Yeah. All right. But there are some people on board. So I guess something is better than nothing. And so uh, we uh, learn that it'll be about uh, five thousand or so. Roughly. I mean, that's John's estimation. Tormund, he's not a counter. You know, mm-hmm. that's not really his wheelhouse. Yeah. All right. So. Everybody is uh, getting onto the boat, including Carsey's children. Yeah. And this is a, a, another great moment that just like gets you a little more invested in Carsey and certainly sets up her own death that, you know, she's saying goodbye to her children here. Everything she's doing here is for the sake of her children. And then she's just going to get wrecked by zombie children. Yeah. So, Josh, how many people should we assume have made it off to the ships uh, before the disaster strikes at Hardhome? I think a decent amount. But if it's 5,000 people, don't you dare. Uh, It's a a solid amount of people here have made the the schlep. Um, But I think we lose much more than we ultimately gain. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right, so uh, we see uh, a little bit uh, of business uh, back inside that one. One, the giant is messing around with the uh, dragon glass. That kind of gets into it with uh, with Ed. Yeah, he says like Loki raw, which says something vulgar in giant speak. Yeah. Anyway, so we start hearing some bad noises. Bad noises. Uh, the dogs hear it first. They uh, they are aware Good of hearing. what's going on before anybody else. Yes. Uh, and very quickly, all hell breaks loose, where even the Thin, who has been leading the charge, this exodus out of Hardhome. And really, where are they going? Like, why are they leaving Hardhome is, is, a, is a good question. Like all the you know, if, if John is scooping up all the people who want to leave, don't you think that like now you've just got, got more room to stretch out in Hardhome? Like the like the prime real estate in Hardhome, some of that's now up for grabs. 
You would think so, but then, you know, it's also, uh, you know, winter and, you know, maybe there's... There's nowhere good in the north, in this far north. You're, this is probably the, the creme de la creme. Is it? That's the be- Hard home is the best? I don't think it's the worst. I think I don't think that there's any place that's particularly plush other than Carasters. What about Easy Home? Easy Home uh, doesn't exist. That's something you've invented. <laughs> doesn't exist that we know of. But I mean, if I, w- if I was yet. a wildling real estate agent, I think I would set up shop in Easy Home. Like, what? Well, aren't you sick of life in Hard Home? Wouldn't you like to make a new life for yourself in Easy Home? Like, oh. No, but the the wildlings like it rough. They oh, they like it. Okay, so they yes. sort of like yeah, they, yeah. they would think you were a poser, and if you were yes. set up an easy home, easy home is Westeros. Hmm. Yeah. Hard hard home is is the true north. Okay. All right. So let's shut the gate. Shut the gate because I'm hearing bad noises. Yeah, and so this is this is when the the battle the battle begins. Uh, all these people who are on the other side, they're like, no, 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 this is bad, this is bad. Yeah. They shut them out. They're uh, you know they're pounding on the gate, and then very quickly the pounding ceases. Why do they have a gate like this? Is this because the you know the the whites come like this before, or other wildlings? Yeah, you know. It's to protect themselves from raiders. All right. With the lost art. And so they start hearing all of this craziness. They close the gate. There's a bunch of wildlings that are on the other side of the gate. They're all screaming. And all of a sudden it gets quiet. Yes, it gets very quiet. And then it stops being quiet. It starts being louder and more urgent. And there are all sorts of uh, dead people, skeletal remains of old wildlings and other such people, maybe some Night's Watchmen mixed in there as well. Who knows? They're all they're all gathered together and they're all trying to get in and all hell breaks loose. It's getting crazy. They're climbing the fence. They're trying to come through the fence and the things are getting out of control. There's a big fight sequence that emerges here and de- defines the the remainder of Hard Home. And this whole sequence is certainly the reason that people remember this episode. Right. And it gets a little hard to describe uh, the action. Any highlights that you want to speak of before we get to some of the individual battles? No, I mean, I just I, I just love it. I love like the, the sword sticking through the gate and John like fighting them back off. Uh, and this, you know, this guy, Laboda, is just like immediately just like realizing I have messed up. This was a mistake. Should have believed the crow. Uh, I just think I think that's all. That's all super fun. John realizes, oh, we need the dragon glass. I brought all the dragon glass here. Sam said that's the thing that's going to be able to kill a white walker. I need to go back and get the dragon glass. Yeah, get the dragon glass. Go get that dragon glass. Uh, and Laboda is like, all right, I'm 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 on your side now. I messed up. We're going to do this together. So the two of them are going to go into this cabin. And lo and behold, Laboda and behold, a white walker is waiting for them. Uh, and getting the dragon glass is going to be a more complicated effort than either of them realized. Yes. And John is going to engage in hand to hand combat with a white walker. Uh, something that uh, nobody has ever done before and lived to tell the tale. Other than DJ Sammy Slayer, yeah, how quickly we so. forget. I guess how quickly so. we forget. I guess so. uh, Laboda certainly will not live to tell the tale. He's like, go get the dragon glass. I got this. Nope, I don't got this. His mm-hmm. axe is shattered immediately and he is stabbed in the gut. Yeah. And so John is battling the White Walker. And now he has Longclaw, which happens to be a Valerian steel sword. 
Right. And so we we are going to come to realize that that is uh, that is White Walker kryptonite. In addition to the dragon glass, Valyrian steel is very effective against these guys. The White Walker is going to shatter instantly. Uh, one, you know, I feel like that that's uh, wild how they just explode like that. That's so neat. So cool. <laughs> Yeah, just the, that moment is awesome. That moment is so great when he, you know, the sound has like drowned out because John has had the wind knocked out of him at this point. He's crawling towards the sword. The White Walker is crawling, uh, is like stalking toward him. You feel, of course, Jon Snow is going to be able to get out of this, but how? So you're just kind of like waiting for what's the punchline going to be. So there's just like this heart racing element to it. He grabs the sword. He stands up just in the nick of time. And the fact that his sword doesn't shatter on impact against the White Walker's weapon is in itself. It's a revelation. It's like, oh, well, Longclaw is pretty special. Oh, wow. Longclaw is very special as John does the sweet spin move and just shatters this guy into a million bits. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's a it's just a, a really cool scene uh, just in the, the crafting of it, um, the you know, the sound design behind it. And just the, the the narrative information we're getting about that as well, where, you know, in a future episode, in a season seven episode, we will continue to see that Valyrian steel and Dragonglass are effective against the White Walkers. Um, but you got to imagine that that's only going to come into more play as the show winds up, uh, starts winding down with the, the final six episodes still to be released. You know, there's also a great moment in the fight scene, and this happens in uh, Battle of the Bastards as well, where Jon Snow either has the wind knocked out of him or is like concussed uh, to some degree. And, you know, the sound design sort of like uh, follows that where it's, you know, you get it's sort of like uh, you're seeing things, not necessarily from Jon's perspective, but in terms of where, you know, the uh, sound has gone out a little bit because of uh, what's happened to Jon. And you really are, you know, uh, you know, in his shoes. Yeah, 100 percent. I think that this was because I think the, the way that the show and the story has been told, they've really slow played the um, the threat of the White Walkers. It's the first thing you ever see in Game of Thrones is a White Walker sequence. So right off the jump, you know that this is a big deal storyline, but it's also an endgame storyline. And most of the story is going to be defined by the political wheeling and dealing uh, all of the, the, the human frailties that that are littered throughout Game of Thrones. That's going to be the real. Um, meat and potatoes of of this of this story, but this is the sweet sweet dessert, mm-hmm. and we're we're finally getting into the final course of the meal. And just along the way, they're giving us like little chocolate truffles of White Walkers uh, sprinkled throughout the throughout this lavish feast. And this is like the the, the most juicy truffle of them all. And, it's and a very now we're vivid really, analogy, mm, delicious, and the oysters involved as well. It's just it's a great time. Uh, and I I'm just I'm I'm so excited for where they're going to go with it. But I think in this moment, especially because we'd been deprived of so much of what it looks like when the White Walkers are involved, just little, little tastes along the way. This is just your biggest White Walker hit yet. And it's it's done so expertly and does, you know, it is grounded in the the perspective of, you know, essentially the main character of the show. Uh, So I think that really gets you invested um and it helps get you invested too that we lose these people along the way uh, i don't think we need to do like the super deep dive into the beat by beat how it all plays but we lose carsey in a very dramatic moment where she's fought off a lot of these uh these whites and then she turns around and she sees like this group of children that's such a haunting image mm-hmm. of those kids she right seemed like a the- little shook yeah, I'd be shook too. I think I, I, well, first of all, I would have been dead long before this moment. Right. Uh, 
I would not have made it to the to those spooky kids. I think I would have been eviscerated probably outside of hard home would have been my bet. Just to confirm, though, those are not her kids, right? No, they're not her kids. No, I mean, they're like super decomposed. Like, uh, yeah, they're way dead, way, way dead. I I just wanted to like, but she's very, you know, the fact that she's super stunned. Maybe they're her nieces and nephews. No, I don't think she knew them, but who knows? Um, that I, I just wanted to make sure because, you know, there is the whole beat about her own kids. And I just wanted to uh, confirm that that was not the case. I think that it's just connecting that. And I think it like kind of takes her breath away that this is the possible future that awaits her own children. And like she, you know, loses her composure in a moment that she really can't afford to lose her control. Mm hmm. All right, so John ends up getting picked up by Ed, and uh, he's like, uh, Ed, we need to get the dragon glass. And Ed's like, John, no, <laughs> no, yeah. forget it. Forget the glass, it. we got to roll. Uh, We're going to die. They'll, they'll partner up with somebody not terribly long from now who's going to be able to give them the dragon glass hookup. So this is not a huge loss, but in the moment, it's not great. Yeah. And so they head to the boats. One uh, one, the giant is also going to the boats, and he's just like uh, taking these uh, whites that are on him and just like throwing them in the water. And they're headed back to Stannis's fleet. Yeah, that's one one, the giant, the 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 most Hodor-y Hodor of season five. Mm-hmm. If we're going by uh, Throner Awards, mm-hmm. and so. They are on their way back to the boat and John is just looking back and we've seen a couple times in this episode, uh, the Night King, he is uh, observing what is going on and he sees Jon Snow and he's uh, making eye contact with Jon Snow and he ultimately is going to uh, raise his arms in one of the most iconic images in Game of Thrones history, Josh. Yes, for sure. I'm sure that's on the list, right? It's gotta Gotta be. be. Gotta, gotta be. be on the list. Gotta be on the list. Uh, yeah, just the stuff they do with the White Walkers in this episode is so good. Like, not only this moment, but like that first time that John looks up and sees White Walkers. Like, it's not just whites that are here that are fighting them. It's not just like this army of the dead. He like sees beyond in the distance all of the different White Walkers on their mounts, just like in the in the on the peaks in the horizon. Uh, just it's so spooky. And then when the Night King shows up and he just walks so slowly and so confidently, you are now finally looking into the eyes of. Of the primary antagonist of Game of Thrones. Maybe not much of a character, but the face of death. And him having that moment of like, uh, like you said, at me, bro, uh, of him, you know, raising the dead, arms outstretched and being like, this is what you're up against. It's uh, a very appropriately chilling message to end Hard Home on and to really set the stakes for what is going to come later down the line on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And we see everybody rise back up and a very terrifying image for Jon Snow. The guy who's rowing the boat is really chill. Yeah. There's like one guy who's like uh, who's who's in a hood who is rowing faster at this point. Yeah, he's got his back to to the Night King and to the wildlings and everything. He's just very chill and he's just like rowing very slowly. And I was I was impressed by his. Uh, maybe his he didn't composure. really realize what was going on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. Josh, that's hard home. That's hard home. Best episode of season five for sure. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, one of the true greats of, of Game of Thrones history, I think. Yeah. And very iconic sequence at the end of the episode, as, as, as you outlined. Best half an hour sequence of the show. We'll let history decide. Yeah, let's let's see what what history has to say. I think through 
uh, through seven seasons, I would say this is still the best half hour of, of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Josh, anything else from Hard Home as now we start to set our sights on season five, episode nine? No, I'm very uh, I'm very happy that we got through this episode. I will miss it deeply. Uh, it was it was a great pleasure to watch. And now we've got two episodes left of season five. And then we're getting we're starting to starting to gear up here. We're getting close. We're getting, we're getting close to. I hope that Game of Thrones proper is getting as close as we are. Yeah. I mean, uh, here we are just two episodes left in season five, then uh, 10 episodes in season six and then seven episodes. And then it's time for season eight. Is that how it's going to work? It's just going to be no, like... No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe with like the, a, a couple of strategically placed intermittent breaks, we've got some holidays coming up. If we took up. two weeks off in between each episode, I think we'd be just about there. <laughs> <laughs> that seems likely, yeah. Yeah. Did they announce a, a, an official date, or are we still just looking at a window? No, I'm literally waiting to plan my life uh, based on when Game of Thrones returns. What's your best guess? When Game of Thrones returns, I'm going to have to lock down like nine weeks of my life. Um, My best guess, honestly, it could be anywhere. It could Mm. be anywhere in 2019. I used to think that it was going to be winter 2019 because how could you resist? Winter is here uh, and and airing it in the in the winter months of of Game of Thrones. But then there have been reports from, I think, one of like the visual effects guys. It's like it's not going to it's not going to premiere until July or something like that. Yeah. Winter 2020 is not happening. If Game of Thrones doesn't come back until like the very end of 2019, that's going to be infuriating. Is anybody Um, not going to watch it then? Everyone's going to watch it. And I guess at this point, take your time. People will cancel their HBO. They'll probably do Winter 2022. Take your time and just make sure that it is great. Uh, But also, could you let me know? I'd really love to start making some plans for my life next year. I've got got things to do, people to see, Mm -hmm. places to go. Yes. All right, so uh, Josh Wiggler, if you are uh, watching The Walking Dead uh, as closely as we are, then we got a recap for you. Uh, Jessica Lee was really uh, on fire uh, talking about episode three of season nine of The Walking Dead as we are on the march to the end of Rick Grimes, potentially. Yes. And uh, Jessica Lee and I were messaging very recently about getting back together to do a Walking Dead book club uh, special for whenever the event occurs that Rick Grimes is no more. I think she and I are going to get together and we're going to talk about that and what the comic book ramifications of all that are. We'll do like a really big spoilery podcast. All right. So be on the lookout for that. We will be back in our regular time slots to talk about uh, season five, episode nine here on the Game of Thrones or recap so uh, be on the lookout for that you could subscribe go to postyourrecaps.com slash itunes or postyourrecaps.com slash got itunes for the game of thrones only feed josh anything else nothing else your honor all right take care everybody have a good one bye bye